don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family? Alright, I'm Michael McGlynn. I'm uh, the youngest of three in my family. I am 14 years old and I'm ninth grade at Ange Gabriel. Cool. So, uh, where are you from and how long have you been at Sea Road? Um, I live in Brockville and I've been at Sea Road for around four years. So, Michael, give us a word to describe who you are. I describe myself as a glass. Glass. Why would you choose that one? I describe myself as glass because, let's say I'm feeling not good or feeling sad, the glass would be empty. But then if I'm feeling happy or feeling good about myself, the glass would be filled up and full. But then, it continue happening, like all emotions, and I feel sad and happy, and it'd be continually getting filled up or empty. And this all happened, and it kept on happening until I finally met God. And then I finally let Him into my life, and then ever since then, the glass has been overfilling and ever overfilling with God's love and joy. And I've been able to experience this in my life, and not only in my life, but I could share with others in my life that are maybe experiencing an empty glass or not feeling too good about themselves. So that's why I explain myself as a glass. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, Mike, I'm going to ask one more thing. Would you All right. consider making a funny face for me? Sure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michael. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, welcome. If you're online or here in person, we're so glad and thankful that you're here and learning that we can never look at a glass the same way. Super awesome. Hey, kids, age three to grade three, if you are in this space, now's your time to go hang out in the boulevard. We've got some amazing things planned for you. And if you're at home, kids, and you're going like, hey, what about me? Grab your favorite snack. Go to centennialroad.com and click on that kids content ministry button thing and participate with us. It's going to be an awesome time. The year was 2007. I was working uh, mainly with youth at the time. And we were getting ready to take a whole schwack of us away for a weekend experience. My wife and I, we were pregnant with our first kid. I say we were pregnant, but she was doing all the work. Let's be honest. And we were getting ready to, to welcome that life into our world at some point. And we had a prenatal appointment just before that weekend. And the doctor said the scariest words to me that I've ever heard in my life. She said this, the baby could come at any moment. I mean, I knew the baby was going to arrive at some point, but I wasn't prepared in that moment to hear those words. Due date wasn't for a while from then. What the heck was going to happen? How are we going to get ready? So we readjusted some plans for the weekend. We didn't cancel it. We just adjusted things. We had people drive up with a vehicle and a car seat and a whole bunch of clothes and an overnight bag just in case we had to leave in the middle of the night and go deliver this baby somewhere in a rural hospital of some kind. We were getting excited and, and ready and prepared for that. 21 days later, the baby finally arrived. Those 21 days, that was, that was hard waiting because at any moment, the baby could come. At any moment, she could arrive. Now, our daughter is amazing. She's a wonderful individual. She does her things at her own pace, in her own way, at her own time. And it all makes sense now. I get it why we were waiting for 21 days. But waiting isn't always easy. Waiting is challenging. Waiting can feel like we're wasting our time. Like, why are we waiting? This makes no sense to us. But even in the midst of waiting, 
Your time isn't wasted. We're going to look at a story that Jesus told to a group of friends of his. It's actually the second last story recorded in his life that he told to uh, this group of people. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. I'll be reading the first 13 verses from this text, and then we're going to take a little deeper dive into it and see what we can learn together. Verse 1 starts like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Lots to say about waiting from that short story. Here's where we're going to start. We're going to look at the Jewish kind of Uh, marriage history tradition, first of all. There's three different phases of what it meant to, like, dive into marriage relationship if you were in this part of culture at this time. Phase one was called mutual commitment. What that meant was a groom, a guy's parents, if he wanted to get married, the responsibility was put on his dad to find him a bride. So his dad would kind of look in the region and, and try and figure out who was somebody that his son would be good to marry, who was appropriate, who was connected, all that good stuff. Maybe there was um, some uh, fun things like involved with political realities. Hey, if, if our family marries into this family, that would be good for us. Now, the bride's family or the bride-to-be's family would have 100% opportunity to reject the overture from the groom's family. So even if the groom came in and was like, Dad, that's the one I want to marry. Can you go get her for me? That didn't mean that she didn't have a choice in the whole mutual commitment phase. It wasn't a purely arranged marriage type of a reality. It was a, hey, I think this is a good idea. Let me go talk with her parents. Then they'd enter into a negotiation around things like, where are they going to live? When they have children, who's going to get named after which side of the family? All that sort of stuff. Can your son provide for my daughter and their children in his vocation? So it was a constant negotiation. Once they got through that phase, they were legally bound to one another in a betrothal or an engagement. This bride and this now groom. They weren't married yet, but they were legally bound together. What was really interesting in that season is that they did not live together. They did not sleep together. They weren't physically intimate with one another. But they belonged and they were legally bound to each other. 
So if they were to want to walk away from that relationship at that point, they needed to go and get a legal certificate of divorce to annul that relationship because by law, they were considered promised to one another. They were waiting to get married. They were betrothed. They were engaged, but they were inseparable by law at that point. Phase three was something different. Now, phase two lasted up to an entire year. So the groom's responsibility in that phase was to go and get ready for his new family. Make sure they had a house, make sure his job was stable, vocationally he'd be able to provide. Maybe that was adding on a room at his parents' place or his in-laws' place or branching out into their own community and making sure that they had what they needed. And after about a year or so, even though the, the, the bride knew that was the general time frame, she didn't know exactly the day or the hour that he would show back up to come and get her to go get married and then go and start their life together. So it was a really interesting process and timeline. And even when he came back, she still had the opportunity to say, nah, I'm not into you anymore. She had an opportunity to embrace the invitation or reject the invitation. Phase three was go get actually married by a, a priest, somebody like that, and then start off into your adventure and life together. That was the Jewish picture of what marriage looked like. Some of it is similar to how we embrace marriage today. Some of it is very different. You know, you hear about couples that are like, hey, we're going to get married, and instead of waiting to live together until they're married, they start living together in our culture today, right? That's something different that we do Good or bad, that's what happens. The Jewish trajectory was just different. Sometimes an engagement in our culture can last years. Like not just one year, but like two, three, four, five years, you know, before a couple would actually get married. Sometimes it lasts a number of months, not a full year. It all depends on the situation. So it's important to understand the Jewish context as we dive into this idea of this story a little bit more in depth about what it means to wait because it's going to make sense in the moment now that we know culturally what we're talking about. There's kind of three big ideas that I want to focus on from this story itself. The first idea is this, are we ready? Are we ready? Jesus tells this story, there's 10 bridesmaids, five are described as foolish, five as wise, and the difference between the two isn't what they were waiting for, it's in their preparation. The five wise bridesmaids bought or had enough oil and extra oil to make sure that they had their lamps ready for when the bridegroom was to come. So they were fully prepared for what they knew and what they didn't yet know. They were ready for whatever was to happen. Now the five foolish people, foolish bridesmaids, were not. They had just enough oil for their lamp. They They didn't have anything extra. So what that would mean is they would have needed an extra container filled with oil. They did not have that. What does readiness look like in our culture and in our world today? What if readiness meant just being prepared? Just being prepared. Like sometimes we step into a situation where we're like, oh, I didn't prepare for that. I'm not ready yet. 
There's a reason why there's a general incubation period for kids of up to nine months. It's so you can get ready for what it means to be a parent at whatever stage that is. There's usually a transition time in, in a job change of some kind. There's a reason for that so you can get ready for what that next stage looks like. Being ready when it comes to our life with Jesus is all about being connected to who he is, having a relationship with him. If we use Michael's example of that glass analogy for a moment, you and I are just like that. We can be filled or emptied by a variety of different things. We can feel prepared or unprepared in the moment. But the truth is, when God fills us with his love, his hope, and his care, we are always in that state of abundant overflowing. Even when we don't feel like it, we have exactly what we need in the moment to face whatever we are facing or being confronted with in that space. That's God's promise to us. He says it's something like this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I won't abandon you in that moment. I will make sure that you are ready. If you think about our education system, what we do with our, our kids is we, we educate them to get ready for their career. So they learn a whole bunch of different things, whether it's how to do math, how to do experiments in science, how to interact socially in their classroom or online, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate in interpersonal relationships and connections. They learn all of these different things. Then they graduate high school or they get their GED. Then they can go on to trade school, vocation of some choice outside of, of school. They can go into post-secondary education and do more preparation and readiness for what is to come. You and I in our spiritual lives have the same opportunity. We can get ready for what is to come. We can prepare ourselves for whatever might come our way. How do we do that, Jason? We invest in our relationship with Jesus. We spend time with him. We do things like read the Bible and pray and put into practice what it is that we read and we hear. We live that out on a daily basis. That's what it looks like to get ready because we don't want to be like the five bridesmaids who have their moment in time where the bridegroom finally comes, shows up, and invites them into something, and they're not ready. How many times do you and I get invited into something by Jesus and we're just not ready. We miss it because we're not ready. A season of preparation, a season of readiness means we're doing the work so that we're ready for what is to come. We're prepared. The second thing this story kind of screams out at me is all about willingness. Are we willing? Are we a willing people? Now, willing means saying yes saying yes. If you look at this story, these 10 individuals were all given the same opportunity. They were given the same opportunity to wait for the bridegroom to be invited into the feast. That was the opportunity. They all were willing to begin with. Then what happens? Five of them remain willing. Five of them are no longer willing. Five of them aren't prepared. They have to go and get more stuff in order to be ready, and then they miss the invitation. 
I thought about that this week, and I thought about one of the favorite things that my son Paxton loved to do as a young little guy. He's still a young little guy. He likes this a little bit less than he used to, but it's still awesome. We would build towers, and his favorite thing was to smash them over with his head, with his hands, and sometimes the beached whale where he'd just, boom, and he'd fall on the tower. It was amazing for him. He would laugh for days. You couldn't build these towers fast enough for him to knock them down. Now, the cool thing about a tower is that if you have a solid and firm foundation, you can build something that's quite large and significant. But if your foundation stinks, your tower is going to easily fall over. Now, I'm not a cruel dad. If you ask my, my kids, maybe they'll tell you something different. I'm not a cruel dad. And so I didn't, I didn't do this, but I thought about doing it. I thought about what if I took all these blocks that he loved and I super glued them together. And I made this great foundation so that when boy meets tower, tower wins and boy loses. Like, what would that look like? But that's the idea and the picture that we get from this story about willingness. Are we saying yes? Every time we say yes to what God invites us into, we're building the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our relationship with him, and we're going to be able to be ready and prepared for everything that is about to come. But when we say no, we got to go back to the foundation and start over again. So if God tells us to do something and we say no, or better yet, we say not yet, I'm not ready we have to go back to that foundation and rebuild because willingness is all about trust. It's all about trust. Am I going to trust what God is saying to me? Am I tr- going to trust what he wants to do in me or through me or even around me so that I am ready for what is to come? And the truth is, there are times where you and I, we just don't want to say yes. Yes is scary. Like, if I say yes to him this time, is he going to ask for something more? Like, what if he says, hey, I want you to start giving some of your finances to me. Can you do that? Yes. What if he says, I want you to go to that neighbor that you don't really like, and I want you to smile and wave and say hello. Oh, yes. Better yet, that kid that lives next door, that's really loud, they got a backyard pool, and it sounds like a banshee all the time when they're in that pool. That kid, I want you to go and buy a popsicle for them and say, I love your energy. Can you do that? Mm, but more sugar equals more energy. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do, we don't want to do it. We believe a lie that says he's going to ask us to do something that is harmful to us. And so we're just not willing We're not ready for that. We'll go part of the way, but we won't go all the way. Are you going to be somebody who's known for something different? Are you going to be somebody who's known for their willingness, their obedience to trust what God is inviting you into on a moment-by-moment basis? Will you say yes? The third thing that just kind of screams at me from this text is what does it mean to wait? So you've got these ten bridesmaids, five are foolish, five are wise. There's different layers of preparation and readiness, different layers of willingness, but they're both still waiting. 
don't know about you, I don't really enjoy waiting. It's not my favorite thing to do. Years ago, I was uh, given a privilege of, of working and coaching some leaders from Tim Hortons, store owners, people from the corporate office, uh, supervisors and shift managers, all those folks. We were in a room together and we were talking about leadership and leadership development. Did you know that at Tim Hortons, they have metrics for every single restaurant that they own on, on their readiness as a store. And one of those metrics is their ability to serve their customers with speed. The ability to serve their customers with speed. They call it the green zone. It has nothing to do with COVID. They call it the green zone. If you stay in the green, particularly in your drive through you are considered an awesome store. And that gets you more opportunities as supervisors, as store managers, and as owners. If your store is consistently performing well, they might say, hey, have you ever thought about taking over this store as well? You get more money in your pocket, that kind of a thing and that kind of idea. They want to stay in that green have the shortest time frame possible to serve their customers. But Jesus doesn't work like that. See, we want things instantaneously. We're like, boom, okay, let's go. I'm going to pray. Jesus, who am I supposed to be with for the rest of my life? Boom, answer's going to be tomorrow, right? And then he doesn't answer that tomorrow, and you're like, come on. I prayed. You're supposed to answer. Let's get going. What are you waiting for? You're the one that's doing the waiting, and you're being invited to wait for a reason to develop character in you. Maybe you're like, Jason, I've struggled with this health-related illness for such a long time, and I don't understand why I'm not healed yet. What is God doing? Does he even care? Yes, he does care. Healing can happen instantaneously, but far more often, it's a slow progression over time. It's a slow progression over time to where it culminates and that you and I, when we have a personal relationship with Jesus, enjoy pain-free living in eternity with him. We experience full healing of all kinds. So the healing that God promises doesn't always mean it's going to happen right in the moment. And you can read this in the life of Jesus. If you look at the stories where he's healing people in different towns and different regions, he doesn't heal everyone instantaneously. He heals some. Imagine being in that lineup and be like, I was one away and now you're done? When is it my turn? Yet God designed our bodies to heal over time, to restore ourselves. And when our bodies are expiring, he finally restores us to our original design and intent in a relationship with him in eternity, if we have a relationship with him. And it's in that season of waiting that so much good is being produced and developed in us. It's called character. Character that God can use. If you're somebody that says no all the time, God can't use you. But if you're somebody that says yes, then God can use you. If you're in a season of waiting, it's all about this. Anticipation and expectation. I know that God is going to move. I just don't know when. There's a famous song by a famous band that you might recognize as I read this to you from Psalm 40. And it's a great depiction of what it means to wait. Hear these words that David wrote thousands of years ago. 
I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. See, you and I might think a season of waiting is a waste, but to the Lord, it's never wasted time, ever. It's never wasted. He uses that to do what it is that he wants to do in you, through you, and around you. He builds in you character that he can use, a soft heart, a gentle spirit, patience. And that's so hard for us because our culture today is built on anything but patience, instantaneous whatever at our fingertips. But a season of waiting produces exactly what God wants to have produced in our lives. So let me ask you this, where are you today? What kind of season do you find yourself in? Are you in a season of getting ready, of preparing? Are you studying and learning and embracing more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Are you even just starting out on that and letting your curiosity guide you forward? Or do you find yourself in a season of learning to be more willing, learning to be more willing to say yes to what God has for you? Or do you find yourself in a season of waiting where you're like, okay, I'm preparing, I'm willing, and I'm still waiting. Where are you? If you're going like, Jason, I don't know where I am other than being here in Brockville right now or tuning in online, that much I know. How do I decide or decipher what kind of season I'm in? Well, let's start here. If you happen to be shopping in a grocery store or any other store, I encourage you to do this. Wait in the longest line possible. And then take note of what's happening emotionally. Like, do you start thinking about, hey, how do I trick the people in front of me to get out of line so that I can bump up a few spaces? Hey, did you see they've got a sale on stuff over there? Look! And then you scooch around them. Like, what are you going to do when you are waiting? I'll tell you this. If you find yourself being anxious, frustrated, angry, or nervous in waiting, you might need to rebuild some of your readiness and some of your willingness. If you're thinking like, well, I haven't heard God speak to me in years. I don't even know what his voice sounds like anymore. Chances are he told you or asked you to do something years ago and you were unwilling. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to, I'm going to be like the the, the groom in the Jewish wedding tradition. I'm going to give you an opportunity, an invitation. I'm going to build a mutual commitment with you, but it's a two-sided commitment. I will keep up my end of the bargain. You have to keep up your end of the bargain. Now, that doesn't mean if you've got a relationship with Jesus that you've lost your salvation or anything like that. All that means is your effectiveness or your influence in God's kingdom is hindered because you're not willing to be used by him. That's all. 
It is a big deal, but it's not like, oh, no, now I'm not going to heaven. No, you still are. He still loves you. God still loves you when you make a mistake. He still loves you when you fall flat on your face. He helps pick you up back, back up again and helps you continue to move forward. But if you're not hearing from him anymore, it's because he's like, I've already told you what to do. Just, just go get it done. But sometimes what he's told us to do, we just don't want to do it. Like forgiving somebody that hurt us really bad. Like, really bad. And they haven't even said sorry yet. So it's like, I'm not forgiving you. You're, you've got to apologize to me. No, no, no. It's not how forgiveness works. God forgives us so that we can forgive others. Are you willing? So whether that's in the longest line possible that you can find this week, or you, you're calling CRA and waiting on the phone for four hours, whatever it is to kind of help you decipher what season you are in, just know that even in that moment and in that space, it's not wasted time. It's not wasted time. You're getting ready. You're being prepared for what is next. And if you take full advantage of whatever season you are in, you will be like those five wise bridesmaids who are ready at a moment's notice, even after they've fallen asleep, they're ready at a moment's notice. They hear the invitation from the bridegroom and they step into the banquet. They step into what God has for them. That is what's waiting for us. But you and I have to be ready and willing to wait. Ready and willing to wait. In a few moments, we're going to go to a time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you, wherever you happen to be, to simply ask Jesus to, to show you where you might be, where he has you in that space. Does he have you in a space of, of preparation, of getting ready? Does he have you at a space where he's like, we need to rebuild your willingness so that we can go further than we've ever gone before in our relationship together? Or if you're in a season of waiting, maybe he just wants to encourage you in that season to go like, keep waiting. I got this. Don't worry. It's coming. You can trust me. Stay expectant and anticipating. I'm going to move. It's just not time yet. God is never late. He's never late. He's always on time. And as we pray, you can cry out to God and ask him to show you where you are. And perhaps if you, if you don't even know who God is or you don't know who Jesus is, you can cry out and say, God, let's start right from square one. I don't even know you. Would you show yourself to me? Would you help me understand that you are somebody that has given your life for me. You invite me into the greatest adventure known to humankind by following you. And you can start building right now, today, from that place. Let's go to a time of prayer together. Father, we are anticipating and expectantly waiting for you. And God, I know that many of us don't understand what season you have us in because we don't see what you see. We don't see if you're asking us to get ready, to be more prepared for, you want to do, for what you want to do. We don't see if you want us to become more willing to follow after you. And we don't see if, if you're just asking us to wait, wait for your timing in something. We don't see it, but you do. And so what I ask, Lord, is that you would, over the next few moments, allow us to see what it is that you see with our situation in our lives. Would you speak to us and reveal to us what kind of season are we in? Are we ready? 
Are we, are we needing to prepare more? Are we needing to say yes more to you? Are we needing to trust you in the waiting that you are going to come through when you come through for what it is that we need and what it is that you want to do in our lives and through our lives? Lord, I know that your voice is gentle and it's loving and it's kind. So all the other voices that speak into our heads and our hearts that aren't those things, we know that that's not you. So by your kindness and your gentleness and your love, would you speak and give us the opportunity to hear and then give us the courage to be okay with whatever season we are in. One season isn't better than the other. All of those seasons are about trusting you. So God, would you, would you move? You know, my heart's desire, Father, is to see you do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. And I think that I can ask and imagine for great things, but it pales into comparison to what you can do. And so God, I pray that your vision, your heart, your mind, your hope, your joy, your plan would resonate with us and allow us to be the people you need us to be, people who are ready, people who are willing, and people who are waiting for only what you can do, and that's move us forward, make us new. Father, I pray that you would bless and protect us. pray that you'd shine your face upon us and be gracious to us. I pray that you would turn your face towards us and that you'd grant us your peace. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus.